Thanks for tuning in to the Medevac Podcast, powered by the Robert Irvine Foundation, whose mission is to support and strengthen the physical and mental well-being of our nation's heroes and their families. I'm one of your hosts, David Reed. And I'm your other host, Christian Myers. Thank you for joining us today at the Medevac Podcast during our series of the Texas Valor Project event and guests. Our guest today, oh, actually, before we hop into that, there is a Mm. price for the show if you're new here. There has to be a price, and if you missed it, oh, boy, was I going to yell at you. A free show? Never. If you get something out of today's episode, which I'm sure you will, you have to share it with a friend or family member. Hit that share button. Engage with the video somehow, because we would do the same for you. We love you guys. That's pretty low cost, high value. Exactly. It doesn't cost cost much. High value. Yeah, exactly. We haven't introed the guests yet. Shut up, Aaron. Yeah. Now, speaking, on set. speaking of, we do have a veteran of the show who's been on several times. Aaron, thanks for being on again. Hey, gents. Aaron Withrow is a former army medic, one of the smartest medical minds I think I've ever met in That's my right. life. Go back, check out his episodes because they are fantastic. They are. If you want to learn Love a little it. bit about band-aid and paper up, talk to this guy. Yeah. Just a little thing. bit. And and medic for life. A medic for, for life and looking like a biker. And who's yeah. our other guest? Our other guest is Chris Shiflett. Did I say it right? That's right. Excellent. He's a former Navy SEAL. He spent about 16 years in the Navy as a SEAL uh, from 2001 to 2017, primarily on Team 2. He has since got out, and he is now a doctor of chiropractic. So welcome, Chris. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. That's great. And I believe you medically retired out, right? That's right. Mm. Okay, well, we're going to dive into that special medevac question there that's coming up. Here it comes. But, um, you know, to rewind it back... How'd you get started? Like, what inspired you to join the military? Was it family? Was it... So, the funny thing is... You like to swim? (laughs) Like the movie, Navy Seals. I do like to swim. You know, I had uh, swam a lot in my parents' pool growing up. So, swimming in the water was no stranger for me. Um, But didn't have really a desire to be a SEAL. I didn't even know what a SEAL was Mm -hmm. uh, when I came in. And actually... I didn't come from a family of military either. So I was, it was a really one-off situation. Um, for me, I love sports growing up and I love that team aspect. Mm-hmm. And so I played all types of sports growing up, but really fell in love with football in okay. high school um, and the group of guys that I had. And that year we went undefeated, won the state championship. So it was an awesome year. But the downside, the backside of that is, well, now that's over. Now what am I going to do? So I joined, um, I was in the debt program with my buddy, and we're both going to be Marines. That's what I was going to go do. Yeah. Um, But I guess as luck would have it, when I went to go sit down and pick a job, they didn't have the job that I wanted. Mm. And so they said, well, you got to pick one in one of these. It was infantry and something else. I I don't remember off the top of my head. And I said, well, I don't want to do that. <laughs> and they're like, well, you know, you have to. You have to pick a job. I said, I haven't left. I don't have to do this. I don't have to do this. So I walked out, walked out of the office, went right next door to the Navy recruiter. And then in the corner, there was a guy dressed up in camo with, you know, kit and grenades and all fun stuff. Yeah. And I just pointed at it and I said, what do they do? Yeah. What, what, is, what do those guys do? So he handed me a paper all about Navy SEALs, diving, um, scuba diving, jumping, shooting, mm. explosives, all the cool stuff, yeah. right? You know, I'm 18 years old, 17 years old, years old at the time because I actually had to get my parents to sign yeah, for okay. me to come yeah, yeah. in. So 17, and I'm like, that sounds great. Mm. I had never seen any of the Navy SEAL movies with Charlie Sheen and any of that <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Um, but I did grow up with Predator and Rambo and okay. all those. So okay. when, as he's giving me this information, I'm like, 
yeah, that's Rambo. That's Predator. Like that's yeah, that's me. That sounds fun. That's, Let's do that. Uh, so similar situation though. And he goes, well, you got to pick a job. And I'm like, okay, wh- whatever. Something with computers. I was actually a little bit of a computer nerd at the time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, in IT stuff and all that. So I was yeah. like, just something with computers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I asked, well, why do I need to pick a job if I'm going to go do that? And he said, well, they have an 80% dropout rate. And I was like, no, no, no. that's not going to be me. I'm not going to drop out. Yeah. He said, yeah, I know. Everybody says that, but you still have to pick a job. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> so picked a job, uh, did boot camp, passed the screening test and all that. Um, and then the rest is history as far as showing up to Bud's. First time through, actually, I didn't make it. Mm, okay. So um, medically dropped out because um, I had bronchitis in Hell Week. Oh. So Hell Week is pretty early on. Um, it switches around. But pretty early on, and if you don't make it past Hell Week, they don't roll you. So you automatically have to go out if you have a medical issue. Mm-hmm. That's going to take you know a certain period of time. Um, but the benefit is being medically revol- uh, rolled out versus quitting is you get to come back much sooner. So okay. you heal from that issue. So uh, traditionally, it's a two-year wait time You know, if you, if you quit or something yeah. like that. So I was able to go back in less than a year or right around a year-ish, somewhere around that time frame. Um, unfortunately, I did have to go out to the big Navy for a little bit of time, mm. and that was definitely the the thing that was like, nope, I am not doing this. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't blame you for that at all. <laughs> because what ultimately ended up happening, that computer job that I, that I thought I was doing was actually radar. Mm. Oh, okay. And I'm like... I guess I can see how that's computer-ish. <laughs> uses computers. <laughs> <laughs> but not really computer at all. So uh, I went back as soon as I could. As soon as my time was up, went back, and I made it the second time through with Class 251. Awesome. Um, and then showed up to SEAL Team 2. So I want to back up just one second. Interestingly, in 2001, when I was in boot camp, it was right before 9-11. So 9-11 actually happened. Sorry about the tapping. 9-11 actually happened. And I was sitting in medical, doing one of the medical oh, things, oh, wow. and watching it happen on the TV. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Wow. And, then, yeah. and then there was that moment of like, so I thought I was going to go do this, but it's, it's real. Now I know that this is what yeah. I'm going to go to. Yeah. So there was that. Oh. So there was a little bit of uh, both excitement and some fear, like, sure. holy crap. Understandably, <laughs> yeah. Totally get that. Um, so I showed up to SEAL Team 2 in 2005. And that was actually right before Operation Red Wings. Oh, um, wow. Okay. And so we were the team that was supposed to go relieve SEAL Team 10 at the time. Mm. Um, and, of course, if you know anything about that story, those guys were pretty much wiped out. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we got called into country early to go relieve them. And I did exactly two parts of the normal six-month workup before you deploy. So there's that whole train where you do CQC and mountain mobility and land warfare and all those things. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't get to do any of that. I I got to do CQC and a smidget of land warfare. And it's like, now you're going to the big show, Afghanistan. Wow. That's a quick turn. (laughs) And and how's that feel? I mean, you're following into the footsteps of those who've made the ultimate sacrifice. Right. And like now you're, you're probably feeling not completely trained up and you're going to jump right into their role. Yeah, so I, I guess it was the same feeling that I initially felt when I was sitting there in boot camp and watching everything happen was a moment of excitement. Like, first of all, I love the mountains. I grew up in the mountains. So mm. Afghanistan was really, truly the place for me to be in terms mm. of that that environment, that atmosphere. Okay. Um, and people ask me that too, as far as you know, places I've gone. And Afghanistan was one of those places that I feel like I would always go back and 
fight for what I love. Mm. Um, just I, I just loved it so much, the terrain and, and the, kind of the wild, wild west of it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, but definitely scared, yeah, because I'm like, oh, shit. Um, I read, you know, Robert's Ridge, and I knew about some of the other stuff going on. So there's a little bit of that in the back of your yeah. mind, like, oh. Man, and then and things were just ramping up, you yeah, know, from where definitely. they started in 2001 to the things that they were doing by 2005 and later after that, it was like, man, it, any day, any road, IED, you know, rockets, you know, we would be staying at places, and one night we did a short little uh, stop in Kandahar mm-hmm. going off to another area, and we stayed there for exactly one night, and the very next night, that got rocketed right where we were. Wow. Mm. So there was that moment of like, man, just yep. luck. I Barely guess. Yeah. It. yeah, luck and timing, <laughs> right? Luck and timing. It Absolutely. is. 2005 time frame, that's the everybody's surging in Iraq. I think they had a 10 to 1 ratio of amount of troops and combat effectiveness in Iraq versus Afghanistan. Afghanistan was like the little stepchild of the war on terror yeah. that we were currently fighting. Mm-hmm. And then without all of those excess troops, it was still, I think, ranked number three in the world for an unmarked landmine, Burma wow. and um, Malaysia. Yeah. Burma and Malaysia being number one, number two for, okay. for landmines. Yeah, but, so. you know, the old Russian-Soviet era, yep. just yep. throw them out there. So. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so to piggyback off of that, I mean, that's that's exactly what happened to us because, you know, the priority shifted. So they started to trim the fat, so to speak, um, in Afghanistan. So we all got split up. Um, some guys went to Iraq. Some guys went, you know, so our team itself got split up and we were no longer there right. as a unit for that, even though everything that had just happened, you know, earlier. But there was also a little bit of skittish to even do some things in Afghanistan anymore, especially with, you know, those birds getting shot down and all that so there was they were kind of drawing back a little bit and of course later as we know it picked back up again but Mm -hmm. there was a die down point with with everything happened when uh with iraq so yeah i remember that everything kind of went back and forth everyone was well i'm in afghanistan this year and the next year well i'm back to iraq this year yeah it seemed like kind of a back and forth for i don't know five five or seven years we're kind of bouncing back and forth like that yeah the needs of the Navy, huh? Yeah, right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that, yeah, that's... Um, it feels weird even saying the needs of the Navy. Yeah. The Army sounds totally natural, but needs of the Navy. Needs of the Navy. Yeah, you're right. That is a little odd. But, uh, you know, <laughs> hey, 2005, this is an interesting time in Afghanistan where, uh, you know, you're just kind of figuring out modern warfare, right? And sandbags on vehicles as, as opposed to armor at the time, you know? Yep. So it's kind of just like finding those solutions as you go, right? Yeah, yeah And absolutely. kind of writing the standard. Yeah, and so we, I mean, we had a little mix of everything. Mm-hmm. So we had partially armored Humvees. We had Humvees with no armor. We had the Tacomas. Mm-hmm. We had the oh, dirt yeah. bikes, um, ATVs, that sort of stuff. Because especially once you start getting up into the mountains, like oh, you're yeah. not getting up there with the Tacomas and the Humvees and all that stuff. And, yeah. and again, jumping in, that's a difficulty in and of itself. So there wasn't yeah. a ton mm-hmm. of that going on. So, and, you know, at that time frame, of course, our big thing was we wanted to go into the Corngall Valley and get those guys back, right? That was on mm-hmm. our mind. But of mm-hmm. course, you know, big military has their own sets of agendas. So some of what we were doing was medvac stuff, okay. going into the villages and offering them medical care and stuff of that. Mm. Um, it usually wasn't us. We were more of the uh, security force up in the hills, you know, sniper positions and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Sure. Um, a little bit more of what we were doing. But 
there was always a hairiness of just driving around anywhere, um, which brings me to a medical story. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were Humvee taking off, um, going somewhere, and you're always, again, look weary about just everything, people on the side of the road, because you don't know if they're sitting there with a cell phone ready to click something off yeah, or yeah, of course. You know, that sort of stuff. Um, but, I mean, we haul ass everywhere because speed is our friend. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this particular situation, not so much because there was somebody on the side of the road and a vehicle in front, they had kind of caught the edge of the little bit of pavement and the gravel. So they, they turned slightly, but kicked up a bunch of dust. Well, we were in behind all of that stuff. Couldn't see, um, got off the road, <clears throat> vehicle wrecked. Mm. The turret gunner was actually pulled down. Uh, into the vehicle, which probably saved his life from being ejected. Wow. Um, the guy in the back left seat ejected out of the vehicle, which actually saved his life because when we got the vehicle back to the base, the frame between the dr- driver and the passenger in the middle had sheared off and punctured the seat where he was sitting. Oh, oh man, yeah. Wow. That's a close call. Yeah. Luck. Man. You know, that's timing. that's another thing. Luck is, is such such a thing in yep. warfare, right? I mean, it, 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 I, I remember when I was a young kid, you know, I had said like when we, when the first troop died, right? And you hear it on the news, right? After 9-11, you know, they go in, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like thinking, you know, young and naive at the time, I was just like, well, he, he must've not been trained enough. And I remember saying that to my grandma at the time and she said, watch your mouth. Yeah. Mm. You know? <laughs> I was young though. Like, let's be honest, sixth grade. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my <laughs> so gosh. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, but I think luck is a huge part of it. So almost lost his life yeah. there, but he was launched. How was he launched out? Where did he go? So because of the vehicle rolled, yeah. so when it hit, it turned and then rolled oh. because of the weight. And so that momentum of the roll yeah. ejected him. Okay. Mm-hmm. Centrifugal force. Centrifugal force. I was going to yeah. say physics yeah. 101. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> where, where were you in the vehicle? So I was in the vehicle behind it. Oh, okay. I was the turret gunner in the vehicle okay. behind that. So, so you had a- yeah, so we pulled up and immediately, you know, security because there's a nearby village. Okay. And of course they see commotion, so they start coming out. And yeah. They're like, "Oh my gosh, you know, what am I going to have to do?" and yeah. that sort of thing and how long is this going to take, you know, and it, we still had something we were supposed to go do and so a bunch of different thoughts go through your head at the time, but mm. yeah. Yeah. So did you guys end up calling medevac for, for those those people who got injured? or uh, No, we loaded them up into a vehicle when we went back. <laughs> oh, did you? Uh, yeah. Okay. And luckily, again, out of, as crazy as all that is, no one was really seriously injured. Mm, that's um, good. So like I said, I mean, the luck aspect of it and just, I don't know, craziness. That, <laughs> yeah. is, that is crazy. That is crazy. So um, that kind of, you, you said at the beginning of the show that that kind of inspired you, that lesson to do what you're doing now. So, um, not specifically okay. that situation, actually, mm-hmm. um, if we want to fast forward up to 2010. I definitely don't want to fast forward. <laughs> no, let's not fast forward. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear some of these stories. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, come on. Well, well, we'll do some more, but we'll, we'll, we'll just fast forward for a moment to 2010. Um, so, by this time, I got trained up, Jumpmaster, was teaching Jumpmaster, all that stuff. Um, and so we were out just having a, a fun jump mm. and we were teaching static line jump master. So we were all in our free fall stuff. So mm. they would go do their thing and then we would go up to altitude and go do fun jumps. Yeah. Um, of course at 
prior to that, I never knew anything, the complexity of being a jump master and putting someone out on spot and trying to hit the DZ. Like yeah. I never realized the complexity of that and, you know, the knowledge that goes into that and the calculation timing, all that stuff. Absolutely. Um, but by then I was a jump master, um, but I was not the lead jump master at the time. So I was not the guy spotting. Um, I was looking out, um, but I didn't, you know, I just followed the lead jump master's instructions and I got in the air and immediately knew something was wrong. Um, and so we were way off spot. Oh no. Um, of course, you know, I'd been trained, so I was trying to track back through the air and get back to the DZ as much as possible, but there's a certain point you have to open. So, you know, opened and then it's like trees, power lines, building, or a downwind landing. And if you know anything about skydiving, downwind is, is not ideal just as much as, you know, jumping in trees is not ideal. Mm -hmm. Or buildings, yeah. Um, but again, you know, so I had some of that training in those situations, but it was just, it was too fast. It was so much wind um, at my back. And I chose the downwind landing because it was in an open field. Mm -hmm. So I was like, you know, roll the dice, I'll pull on the front side, catch the air hopefully, and still land softly. That did not happen. Um, crashed in pretty good. Mm -hmm. Doing what a team guy does, jump back up, loaded the bird, and continued jumping that day with a broken back. Oh, man. <sighs> so luckily, wow. again, yeah. as luck would have it, I was not paralyzed, um, or I obviously would not have gotten back yeah. up to go do that. I knew it hurt like hell. I knew I had a concussion. Sure. Um, and, but I just continued on. There was, there was more jumping that needed to be done, more guys needed to get through and all that stuff. And it wasn't until about a month later, just constant back pain. And, and believe it or not, it was the trouble sleeping mm. um, that was more problemsome that I was like, man, I should go get this checked out. Sure. So had x-rays, had MRI, and had multiple disc herniations, specifically uh, in the mid-back, which is extremely rare to get a mid-back. Yeah. Usually it's in the neck or low back or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you know, that's very common, jump injuries, the T, right? Um, mm -hmm. You know, when I, when I got hit, IED T11 for me, yeah. which is very weird. They were like, that's very strange. Yep, yeah. So, yeah, what was yours? So I have multiple, actually, all the way from C3 down to T8. Oh, wow. And then I have wow. lum lumbar disc herniations as well. Uh, wow. <laughs> Boy. Serious. Uh, and for those who don't know, Aaron, you could, you could attest to this, but it's like a jelly donut. Uh, yeah, pretty dang close to a jelly donut mixed in with some chicken bones and uh, <laughs> sinew and uh, connective tissue and a uh, little dash of spiciness. And yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> that's, so, a, that's a direct medical quote from uh, Yeah, it was science. like very, very scientific. It's white, okay. white paper. Yeah, well, yes. pretty, pretty bad. I agree. <laughs> jelly, jelly donut. donut with chicken <laughs> bones. <laughs> so, um, so you went an entire month with a broken back just trying to power through? Just powering through, yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, I just, you know. Nature of the beast, right? Yeah. Well, that's what we do in the military, right? Yeah, take so a knee, drink water. We, we take a lick yeah. and we keep on going. Like if we're not. Change your socks. Yeah, yeah. that's right. <laughs> Continue working out, yeah. like yeah. all the different oh, things. Man. Just doing all the different things. Yeah. Um, but they got the x-rays back and they were like, did you know you broke your back? <laughs> I said, no, what are you talking about? So he pulled up the x-ray and he showed me. And, and again, this is where a little bit of luck, you know? So there's a part on the spinous so transverse process, a little arm that sticks out, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And you can fracture those and, and be okay. And as it were, you know, I fractured that 
It didn't get dislodged anywhere, stayed in place, and you actually see where it was starting to reheal. And so there was this nice, beautiful white line where it was starting to, you know, just reheal right there in place. Interesting. Um, so I got lucky with that one. Did not did not get lucky with all the disc herniations because that's been sure. the ongoing problem. And that's that moment is really how I got into this um, because I got the steroid injections in the back. For the mm. constant pain, I got the 800 milligram full baggy full ibuprofens. Um, the horse pills. The yeah. horse pills. Love those. And there was really no Ranger li- candy. <laughs> Ranger candy. Yeah. And there's really no limit on that, right? It was just like, here's your baggy full, like you're oh, in pain. Yeah. You know, yeah. Take one when that you're is. hurting. I, t- I, took, I took those to sleep. Yeah. You know what I mean? You just take them. Contraindications may include ulcers, uh, sleepless nights, choking yeah. forever. Yeah. Mm. Sudden death. Sudden death for choking. <laughs> yeah. Liver, liver Osteoporosis, disease. Yeah. as we know. Osteoporosis. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. We, we can go on and on, right? Yeah. Um, so I was doing all those things, physical therapy, the steroid injections, the prednisone, the mm. ibuprofen, all the different things, and you'd get uh, some maybe temporary relief, if any at all. Um, and I was like, man, there's got to be got to be something else. Like, this, mm-hmm. seriously, yeah. can't, it, this and surgeries, like, yeah. this is my only options. Um, and even for that surgery is not a great option because the most that they can do is either a laminectomy, go in there and open up the bone a little bit, give the nerves more room to move because that disc space is now taking up that area, that real estate or, um, later they didn't have it at the time, but now they have actual disc replacement that they can do in the cervical spine. They haven't figured it out for lumbar and other places yet. It's a little, the complexity of it's a little bit, um, harder, but they're using titanium discs for that, right? Yeah. So, uh, that'll be, that'll be another story. So remind me, um, when we get to after being a chiropractor, but, uh, so I I did some research on my own and found out about decompression Mm. and chiropractic and knew nothing about it at the time. So uh, I just, it sounded like uh, physiologically it could work. Like mm-hmm. logically to me, it sounded like it could possibly work. Mm-hmm. And what do I have to lose, right? So um, it wasn't readily available to the military in mm. 2010 as much as it is now, sure. especially to spec ops community. Now the Air Force, it's a whole different game. They have more money and it's <laughs> been available to them for a long time. <laughs> um, Heard our it, back sitting in chairs, you know, <laughs> long time oh, sitting. Yeah. It's not a real podcast if we don't throw at least one jive at the Air Force. And that's <laughs> yeah. Superior technology. Yeah. You know, it, superior technology, better, you feel a better yeah. budget. Yeah. Comfy office chairs. Awesome grass. Yeah. My back hurts. So you could walk on the grass. Too, no one cares. Oh my goodness. But it's always green <laughs> yeah, there too. It was beautiful every time. Oh, yeah. Jesus. <laughs> but also to throw the, yeah. throw the love back at them, right? Because mm-hmm. they had our backs with the, the predators and all the other cool oh, shit. Of course they do. AC yeah. 130 I mean, yeah, fair enough. All the cool stuff. So can't I can't talk too much trash. Um <laughs> <laughs> so stumbled on chiropractic, went and did it for myself, just paid for it on my own. Cause I'm like, I don't care if the military is gonna cover it or not. Mm-hmm. I need some help. I need to get back in the game. I need to feel full and functional. Um, started doing it and pain started decreasing mm. and sleep started getting better. And mm. I was like, holy crap. Can you walk us through the actual, like what they're doing there to treat this? Yeah. So, and that's a great question. I love that question um, because chiropractic is so much more involved than what we think of mm. when we watch the YouTube videos and the TikToks and all the cool stuff, the popping, cracking that, that people yeah. love to see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of the research too. And so, and I, and I talked to Aaron about it and some other people and why I use the technique that I use has very little of the popping and cracking and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. A, because we know it's not necessary. Mm -hmm. um, the popping and everything that people love is really just gas escaping that joint. Sure. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't mean that uh, an adjustment was effective or not effective mm -hmm. when you get a pop or don't get a pop. Yes. It's irrelevant. Is it good or bad for you? Because everybody's like, don't do that. It's so bad for you. Yeah. And I'm like, crack your knuckles. You'll get big it's, knuckles. Yeah, it's gas escaping. <laughs> they're like no it's bone it's the tendon like you know so yeah anyway i digress yeah <laughs> <laughs> so um it, good or bad is is dependent mm -hmm. so it can be right because if you if you adjust a joint that's already moving just fine um that can be just as problematic is you know messing someone up when you when you do an mm -hmm. adjustment right mm -hmm. So overstimulation period in any in any context, we're talking about brain health a little bit today, but even overstimulation can be a bad thing. Yeah. Right. So um, knowing when and where to adjust at the right time, the right place, all mm -hmm. those things really matter. Mm -hmm. Answering your question, um, the true effect that you're getting from an adjustment is the input through the through the nerves to the spinal cord to the brain, mm -hmm. and how the brain processes that information on a more complex level. Um, looking at proprioception. So every joint in the body has proprioceptors. Yeah. That's what it allows us to understand where we're at in space when we mm -hmm. move, part, mm -hmm. part of that. And that, that's, a, that's a good, uh, you know, kind of segue into uh, a question that I had as well is, you know, it's, we look at skeletal and muscular as well, right? And you have sure. that proprioceptive neurofascial facilitation right. in addition with that. So are you like implementing that as well? Or do you suggest you know, we need to do a little bit of this kind of relief before we adjust, right? Because it could just snap right back into place, right? These, Yeah, so I, I'm not a single, uh, I guess I'm not um, true old school chiropractic, yeah. um, just adjust only. And yeah. no, no, first of all, I believe in that, in that process. Um, but my whole thing is getting people back to the life that they want to live as mm -hmm. fast as possible. Mm. And an adjustment alone doesn't do that as effectively as some of the other tools. We know mm -hmm. that we have other great tools, other assets, and the science proves that it can be, we can decrease that healing time much quicker. So if you okay. look at the true chiropractic sense, adjusting only, that process is beautiful. And I've seen amazing work with people that are just doing that in terms of skeletal structure, mm -hmm. how they're changing scoliosis in people and stuff like that. But when you look at the trend of how long that took, that's usually a year or longer to really make those mm -hmm. type of anatomical changes. Okay. Um, because we know the human body takes a consistent repet uh, repetition of doing something for a minimum of 90 days to make an adaptive change. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's why I also don't do the, the one and done, come back when you have pain type of yeah. model. Mm -hmm. And I'm not against that model at all. I just uh, hopefully want people to understand the difference of what you're getting with that type of model versus the type that I have, and you're not getting a true adaptive change. If you mm -hmm. go in one time a week and you don't go back for six more weeks, it's like going into the gym one time and going back six weeks later. You exactly. Did, you did that's nothing. actually my model. Yeah. yeah. I only have to hit the gym once every two months or so. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's effective. A little bit of light stretching, yeah. hit some stair climber, show the ladies the glutes, and there you pretty go. much fit for the next two months. <laughs> yeah, that's. So six times a year. So we, <laughs> so we do a combination therapy where we're looking at, um, first of all, we're very much more um, complex in the objective findings and the tools that we use to really figure out what the problem is. Mm -hmm. So um, we do neuroscanning, which is testing heart rate variability. 
And heart rate variability is an amazing tool and it's been around for a long time, but we only recently started understanding why this information can be beneficial. Mm. Um, and the reason that I use it is because it gives me, so to speak, um, where the individual's at in terms of gas in the tank. Mm. Are they running on E? If they're running on E, I'm going to need to see them more because their body just doesn't have that ability to recover the same way as somebody who's running on a full tank of gas. Mm, yeah. So heart rate variability is much more complex than that, but that's you know keeping it simple. Um, we do thermography, and the reason we do that is because the blood vessels and the ability to regulate temperature from side to side is controlled by the autonomic nervous system. Hmm. So then we can correlate that area of increased or decreased temperature with an organ function as well. And organs control glands, hmm. hormones, those sorts of things. So most of the time people come in with neck pain, you know, back pain, headache, something like that. And then I ask them, oh, by the way, do you have gut problems, constipation, diarrhea, indigestion, you know, anything like that? Yeah. Yeah, actually I do. And then I show them, I'm like, you see that nerve that's being affected right there? And I show them the nervous system chart and I was like, it controls all those functions. Mm, so yeah. <clears throat> um, so we're looking at the person from a whole health it's perspective. Just holistic yeah. view. Exactly. Um, and then we do uh, surface electromyography, which is testing the muscle tissue tone. And so whether it's lacking tone, spinal instability, or too much tone, and we get rotation of the spinus. So... Mm. Um, and then that pulls on nerves. It creates dysfunctional movement patterns, mm -hmm. which yeah. is the next test that I do, functional movement assessment. Okay. So I uh, put through people through functional movement um, and with everyday movements. Now, to, the average person doesn't necessarily do an overhead squat every single day of their life, but they do squat. They squat to go to the bathroom. They squat gonna, to get in their vehicle. I'm going to argue with you, man. I do not stand on one leg and close my eyes. That is a dangerous <laughs> maneuver. I don't know why you had me do it. And I don't know why my pants were off while that was happening. I, but just saying, not a natural movement. But it I it. do it every day. Every day? Yeah, I stand on one leg. Naked? One leg? No, I just have one leg, so. <laughs> no, it's true, though, because I can, I've got decent balance. But, man, you do that, that one-legged stand... And you're holding it, and you're holding it, and you're good. And he's like, "Okay, close your eyes." And I'm falling over. Where I'm at in space. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Spa yeah. Spatial awareness. Spatial sure. awareness. Yeah, you're right. So that's not a normal movement, um, but it provides a ton of information. Talking, oh, yeah. talking again about the brain um, and the reason why we do eyes closed balance versus eyes open. Because when their eyes are open, we incorporate the the eyes and the vestibular system. Mm -hmm. So you have two, you have total three systems that are really working at play to provide balance. Mm -hmm. When we remove the eyes, we actually lose the ears too mm -hmm. because of the cervicospinal reflex. So we lose that and we're relying 100% on the cerebellum, which is the back part of our brain. Mm. Cerebellum talks to the front part of the brain for, for, for movement. Um, and so we get a real good idea of A, how that cerebellum is functioning and how mm. that can be impacting their functional movement. Mm. So I look for those differences from the left side to the right side of the brain, and I can correlate that to their functional movement and say, well, you're not able, your back part of your brain is not talking to your front part of the brain. That's why this side is lacking and are not doing as well. Wow. Um, so we tie all that back into the health of the nervous system and the brain. Wow. Um, and then we don't do traditional x-rays. We do um, movement x-rays. So I can really show the individual what a normal, what it should look like when someone bends to the side mm -hmm. or when they flex their head forward, what, what should happen to each one of these segments, um, which is a whole nother topic about can you see a subluxation on an x-ray? 
Um, and, I, and I say yes, because if you do a movement x-ray, you can see exactly which bones are moving, which ones aren't, which mm -hmm. ones are deficient. You can okay. tie that all together. So all of that to say, objectively, the person sitting there can say, wow, um, I, I get it. Yeah. I can see where my problem is. You can prove it to them. Exactly. Yeah. And then when I build the treatment plan, it's built around that whole functional model. So they're going to get stretches and exercises to um, correct their deficient movement patterns if they have those. Um, either way, they're going to get stretches and exercises just even from a therapeutic level, even if it's a disc herniation. Mm -hmm. We know that there are certain rehab movements that are beneficial for that. So they're going to get that. Mm -hmm. They're going to get the chiropractic adjustment, which for me is all about that input to the brain and the nervous system. Mm -hmm. um, decompression, especially if they have disc herniations, we're going to do decompression with them. Um, if they're lacking in tissue tone, we're going to stimulate that with electrical stimulation. Mm -hmm. uh, we use electrical stim for a bunch of other stuff too. And then uh, shockwave therapy, which is one oh, yeah. of the therapies we have here. So you guys come out and check it out. Breaks up yes. scar tissue, right? Breaks up scar yes, tissue, but, yeah. But yeah, let me pause the whole show, get on the table, and, and can you check this out for me? <laughs> How many times do you get that? Yeah. All like, the time. Like that's got to be the most annoying thing in the world. It's, it's frustrating. It's, yeah. it's frustrating from... You're like, you said, bro, I'm just having dinner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, but also, uh, and, and again, you know, the technique that I utilize doesn't really work that way. So mm -hmm. that's a very mechanistic model, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I hurt here. Can you do something yeah. right there? Like, right? It's very, very mechanistic. And again, not to say that that doesn't provide some relief, but most of the time it's short-term relief. Sure. If, you, if ever yeah. gone, you know, to get a chiropractic adjustment and you feel better immediately, right? Mm -hmm. You're like, man, I can turn my head better or I feel better. Yeah. And then maybe five hours later or the next day, you're like, dang, I got that crick again. You yeah. Know? Mm -hmm. um, and that's because going back to what we were talking about Much before, you're increasing the perception of proprioceptive and that releases a chemical in the body called enkephalin. Mm -hmm. And so that is our body's natural pain reliever. So mm -hmm. you're stimulating those proprioceptors that enkephalin is getting released. So you're getting that immediate gratification of some decrease in pain uh, and increase in movement because, again, you stimulated those proprioceptors. Yeah, it makes sense. But it's short-lived because you're not continually getting that stimulus mm -hmm. unless you're going every day. Okay. Yeah. And then you're going to get that more long-term effect or at least every other day, right? So, But if you just go that one time over six weeks, you're only going to feel better for a little bit. And that's sure. just the nature of it. So then mm -hmm. you got to go back again, which is a whole other argument about chiropractic. Once you go, you have to go forever. My argument is very simple. If you care about your health, you should go for the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Just like your car needs frequent maintenance. Yeah. I mean, you're on your spine and you experience gravity all the time. So you need that too. Yeah. Um, and then to the other argument of the, the, the naysayers that would say, well, you know, I, it got better for a little bit and then it got worse again. And so chiropractor doesn't work. Yeah. Well, that's not true. Probably you didn't even follow the guidelines that the chiropractor gave you, which is to start out three times a week for the first month. And then it's the know. homework. Yeah. Home it, it's the homework that always kills people. You know, yeah. you, like uh, physical therapy is a great example. Like, did you go home and did you do your stretches? Blah, blah, blah. And they're like, no, no, but PT doesn't work for me. And yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> How do yeah, you know? I went to the gym. So you try I did a good 15-minute walk on the stair climber, and I, I just don't see any of the results. What'd you have today? Five guys. Yeah. Yeah, I had burgers yeah. all day. Okay. That's it. But I had one burger, not two. Yo, so you did a 150-calorie workout and a 2,000-calorie intake, and wonder why yeah. it's just not working. Yep. 
Yeah, so, it's a very interesting protocol. So is this something that you developed yourself or is this something that's been implemented with other chiropractic, chiropractic practices that's a mouthful? That is yeah. a mouthful. <laughs> um, no, yeah. great question. It's, it's, it's my own personal flavor okay. on a lot of different people that are much smarter than me and way further along in the game than me. Sure. Um, so as far as my technique, my adjusting, I got certified in neurological-based technique because I knew going through chiropractic, like the brain is the master organ. And so if I can affect, everything follows the brain, whether it's, even if it's a structural change, a disc herniation, for example, the ability to heal that for the body to heal itself needs that input from the brain at some point. Mm. Those chemical mediators that are signaling that happens for all that to take place. Um, so I got certified in that technique and I knew that that's the technique that I was going to run with because um, it had just such great results, mm-hmm. long-term results. And when you do it correctly, and again, going back to just doing chiropractic alone is very effective if done correctly. Sure. So, um, but then I, and again, I, I understand from the patient perspective, right? Having had issues and needing care and feeling like I had nowhere to turn and stumbling upon this. Um, and they used a little bit more well-rounded protocol as well. So I knew that there was something to that, um, and I wanted people to have some level of instant feedback um, and a plan to yeah. move forward. What, where are we at? Where are we going? How are we going to measure success, mm. right? So that's how I, I first put all of my eggs into the objective findings. What tools do I need to show A, that there's a problem, mm-hmm. and B, that I can objectively show them over time that they're getting better. Yes. Sure. Because seeing is believing for a lot of people. They yep. need to see it um, and then feel it too, right? And so then that's when I got into some other tools. I know uh, massage is great, and uh, there's plenty of massage therapists that we refer to, we love it. Um, but again, it's a time thing for a lot of people. Do they yeah. have an hour of their time mm-hmm. or two hours, whatever they need to go get all of that? fixed and worked on. So that's when I was like, okay, how can we achieve similar results in a smaller time frame? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I started doing grasping technique. Um, oh, yeah. If you're familiar with that, it's super, super aggressive. Scraping. Scraping. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful tool. And, it, and same thing that the shockwave does, it switches the body back into that acute re, um, the healing mindset versus that chronic, hey, we kind of stopped healing and we're just going to go along. Mm-hmm. It switches that back because you break down that scar tissue and you promote that healing process all over again. The problem for a lot of people, you want to say something? No, 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 no. I, you're on a good topic. So I'm just remind me, I want to ask you a question to, yeah. okay. uh, on this. Yeah. Um, the problem for a lot of people though, it's super aggressive and not fun at all. And it's, mm. it is brutal to yeah. the skin. Yes. So you have done it. Uh, I've I've seen it and okay. I haven't done it and this is a great a great topic that I'm glad we crossed. I've had it done yeah. and it, it, it's just as brutal as the benefits way outweigh. Who's not? Have y'all done ice plunge every oh, morning? We okay. ha- we both have one at our house. Yeah. Oh, I'm getting one. I yeah. just did my first ice plunge. And I was that was actually a question I was going to ask him. Is it worth? Yes. Is it worth it? Hundred percent. Do you enjoy the ice plunge? I'm not at that sadism level yet. <laughs> the mental yet. aspect, I do okay. love. Daddy does need to be punished. Yes, yeah. but <laughs> the the dope the sorry the three hour dopamine rush from it. Hundred percent worth yeah. it. The Absolutely. scraping. Oh yeah. Sucks. Yeah. The yeah. Benefits amazing. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it know, works. That's a great 
question though for you is we see this brutality, right? On whatever it is, Instagram, social media. And you just see like the, the skin just getting all bruised and, you know, mm. blood just, you know, bruising and all this stuff. Like, and, and the question is, is this good for you? And how so? How, you know, let's, let's, let's tie that in. Yeah, sure. So everybody's a little bit different into the effect that they're going to feel from it and whatever their problem is, right? Um, let's say it's trigger points, um, which is essentially where the muscle fibers get bound up. They don't want to lay back down flat the way they're supposed to, which, which affects performance as well because the, the muscle can't go through its full end range and have the same loading capacity when mm. it's all bundled up like this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another one is tendonitis where, you know, so where the muscle attaches at a tendon level to the bone that becomes inflamed over time. So those two different issues are completely different and the effect that that person's gonna feel is a little bit different. The person with a trigger point in the muscle belly, that's gonna hurt a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but essentially what you're trying to do is get that muscle to lay back down by constantly scraping the crap out of it yeah. and getting those muscles to like just do this. Release a little mm -hmm. bit, yeah. The other, the other part of that is stimulation of the blood flow to that area to help it heal and signaling, again, talking about signaling in the brain, to go in there, heal that area, and that in and of itself lays down as well. Okay. Now there's there's a neurofeedback component in there as well because there's in the muscle spindle, which is in the belly of the muscle, mm -hmm. there's again more sensors that's sensing stretch and contraction and all those different things. And so when we're feeding the muscle, so to speak, scraping in a certain way, we're stimulating those receptors in that muscle belly, which is again providing a signal and the brain is saying, stop contracting, mm -hmm. stop contracting. Okay. So, um, beneficial, yes. Yeah. Is yes. it pleasant? No. No. It hurts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Like Brussels sprouts. And I've got a ribeye, I got mashed potatoes and Brussels sprouts. Which one do you eat first? Brussels. Yeah. yeah. Let's end this day with fat and meat in my mouth. <laughs> Sorry. And, and going back to um, that and rolling. So, foam mm -hmm. rollers, uh, lacrosse balls, that yeah. sort of stuff. Because Love those. I, because um, this happens too. Um, people find a spot and they're like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna grind away at it. And they do that every single day, multiple times a day. And that actually has a reverse effect mm. because uh, initially there's that stimulation of blood and it overstimulates that muscle, which means it contracts harder. Yeah. yeah. And so you can overdo stuff, right? Sure. Yeah. Um, and so people do that all the time too. So going, just going back to, to grasping beneficial, not something you should do every day. <laughs> yeah, moderation is key, That's like right. we talk about you all the time. Give the body all Even the good things, all things in moderation. Yeah. Exactly. So, so and, and the question being with the cold plunge as well, what do you see in the benefits of that as well? Man, um, so way more knowledgeable people on this than me, but um, just going back to my days in the military um, and SEAL training mm. and cold and the psychology and all that stuff. Yep. Of course, at the time, I didn't realize how beneficial what they were doing was mm -hmm. because yeah. we're constantly in a, an inflamed state going through buds and specifically hell week because yeah. you don't have a chance to recover. You're not resting, you're not sleeping. Yeah. So that recovery is switched off. You're in your sympathetics, which is just that go, go, go. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. it, do or die. 
And that cold water is actually controlling that some a little bit because they were increasing parasympathetic response, bringing everything back down a little bit. And that's that heart rate drop, right? When you feel it. Yeah, switching systems. Yeah, switching systems. And that's a a recovery system. So I didn't know it at the time. Uh But of course, again, they're smart enough to know. They figured this stuff out beforehand. But decreasing inflammation just in the cold aspect of it alone by Mm -hmm. vasoconstriction. um, But that's decreasing the heart rate. That's slowing the mind down, mm-hmm. um, which is actually beneficial for not quitting. Mm-hmm. But there's the pain aspect of cold alone, and that's yeah. another reason why people quit is just because it's so uncomfortable. And just overcome that. So I, I think that that's a really good segue into like now we're really working on the physical health. Right, and yeah. that translates into the mental health that goes into this. So exactly. let's talk a little bit about that. Right, is, sure. is getting that patient in and seeing the difference from the work you do to where they are now. Sure. Um, so that's beautiful. One one of the questions I have for people because I always want to know their feedback. Right, what are they feeling? Um, and so I have little conversations along the way. So I get an idea of where they're at and if their body language is telling me we're moving in the right directions. Mm-hmm. And one thing I want to say just real quick, our process is great. We have to understand that nothing is 100% for 100% of people. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's what I love about how I do things is because I do that re-exam and I see did we make the change I hope to make? And if not, what do we need to adjust, if anything? Sure. Or does the body just need a little bit more time? Maybe this person needs a little bit more time. Um, so I'm getting a feel for them. And, you know, I ask those simple questions because when I, when I develop a treatment plan, I want to know what it is for them because people come in with pain, but that's not why they're really there. Mm-hmm. They're there for what it's preventing them from doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I love it when I get answers like, I want to be able to throw football with my kids, but I can't because I can't raise my shoulder. Yeah. Yeah. I love that answer because it's so to the heart of that person. And if I fulfill that goal, I don't care what the data Mm. says, I've done my job. Yeah. Um, So that's a question I ask and percentage of improvement because there's a grading scale, right? And I, and I have a goal of trying to reach 75% overall improvement under the active phase of my care. I also have a wellness phase as well. But under the active care, I'm trying to improve that individual 75%. That's always the goal that I'm aiming for. Yeah. Um, and part of that is their grading how they're going with those things. So you told me you wanted to be able to throw football with your kid. Are you doing that? Mm. Yes, I am, but it still hurts. Okay, you weren't doing it. Now you are. That's yeah. improvement. Mm-hmm. Um, and what percentage would you grade that at? So um, I get their feedback, um, which is beautiful because sometimes the data... Um, it doesn't always show what you want it to show. Mm. Like there's a drop. Um, and for the lay person, they don't understand why this is a drop. They're here to get better, but the data doesn't show they got better. Mm. And to me, it's very simple, especially when it comes to the neuro side. Because when I start doing things and I manipulate your body and I ask you your body to make changes, that energy to change has to come from somewhere. So I'm actually drawing on your system a little bit, and that's why I use heart rate variability. Okay. Mm. Because it's so unique in that way, it will show me, and I love when I see it actually on the second exam that that heart rate variability score goes down, Mm. and I'm like, yes, that means your body is pulled on those systems, and it's now utilizing those systems that it wasn't using as effectively before, Mm -hmm. and it's causing that draw. Okay. But we're in the recovery. But then when I tie it to everything else, and I say, look how much muscle tension you had here, Look where you're at now. Here. Yeah. 
So then it's like data driven results. Right. So this went down. That's fine. There's a reason that went down. This got better. And you're telling me you got better. We're moving in the right direction. It's just that, you know, understanding of that piece. Yeah. Yeah, That can be counterintuitive, especially I guess, as you're developing these processes, right? Sure. If you're, if you're just driven by the data, you're going to look at it like, well, we should not use this technique because the data says otherwise, right? Even though you might be making progress. I think that's, that's, I think it's beautiful that you take a, a whole human approach, right? You take that really what they're looking to do uh, and you take that into concern and, and apply that back. Yeah. I think that's, that's I mean, you have to, yeah, even true. on, even on field-based medicine, yeah. you have to take a whole body approach. Of course. Heart rate's high. I can't just treat that. I need to see heart rate high. Why? Yeah. yeah. What are the conditions? What's the backstory? Yeah. What's causing Speaking this? of which we could call you Backman. <laughs> the world's greatest back detective. Yeah, back man. Back man. Back man. Back man. Back I don't want to do a brand shift. I know the whole Trident thing is kind of neat, you know, in the special <laughs> operations world. Yeah. You know, gotta... but back man would be pretty dope. Uh, <laughs> but I, I could say, I, I will just put in this one tidbit. As one of his patients, uh, it's super impressive. Yeah, your, your background detective work, like what's your day-to-day look mm-hmm. like? Give me the whole story. Don't just tell me where it hurts. Tell yeah. me why it hurts, how it hurts, when it stops hurting. Mm-hmm. Is it getting better? Yeah. Right. I mean, you're putting a good balance system together to tweak this, tweak that, because that is the body. It's yeah. not just ones and zeros. It's Well, well and, and I yeah. wasn't going to call you out as being a patient for HIPAA, but since oh, you my. did it, um, <laughs> I'll, I'll go in. So... Um, and this is the other thing that I love about the process, right? Because I always ask this other question too, what other conditions do you have? Mm-hmm. Even if you don't think it applies to chiropractic. Um, and then, so then all the other stuff starts to come out. Well, I get headaches or I have vertigo or mm. my knees hurt sometimes too and that sort of stuff. And my initial focus in the first phase from the time we start a treatment plan to that first re-exam is whatever their chief complaint issue is, what it, whether it was back pain or the shoulder or whatever. Um, so I start there because that in their mind was what mattered most to them, not the other mm. stuff. But what I, what I do love is when I ask, so you told me you had uh, knee pain as well. How's that doing? And they're like, I'm going to think of it. I haven't had knee pain. And I'm like, okay. And you told me previously that you'd been experiencing that every day for the past month. Right. Yeah. And it's gone. Awesome. I didn't even treat your knee, but the body is that amazing that once you, uh, start to recover the nervous system and the brain health improves, other things start to subside as well. Yeah. yeah. It's so interesting. I, mean, I wanted to take it back to a, a piece that it, it always comes up when we're talking about the physical health side of things, but pain is not a problem, right? Right. And that's, that's something I think a lot of people who are not in the, the fitness or the active side or the medical side understand that pain's not the issue. Pain is an indication of an issue. Right. And people commonly try to treat pain when that's- Symptom, not the source. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Masking. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Right. right. And, and pain doesn't always indicate the problem, where the problem is either mm-hmm. in terms yeah. of location. Um, and this is what I love about Shockwave too. It, it only works on damaged tissue. Hmm. And so if someone tells me their, their back is hurting on the right side and I go over and I treat the left side and the left side lights them up, I'm like, you're compensating. Yeah. Your, yeah. your right side is experiencing the effects of the left side problem. Yeah, it's pulling and, or pushing. And or, when, yeah. when I can point that out with something like Shockwave because it's instant feedback, they oh, yeah. know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the shockwave feels weird on the bones. It, you, so it, you've never had shockwave? I have you not. Have? I have, yeah. Okay. Not on my lower back. It's my favorite part. Yeah. When I come in and it's like, yeah, we're going to do adjustments and decompression today. And yeah. I'm like, 
Can we get a little shockwave in here? <laughs> yeah, I, I had a glutton uh, for punishment. Can we make me hurt? Yeah, I had a disc herniation, uh, or two of them, L L4 to S1, and I had an adhesion grow off of it. So okay. they used shockwave to break up the adhesion. We it just got... started on my feet. Oh, and really? Th yeah. Those are my two biggest complaints, my back of the feet, obviously. Yeah. And we just started on the feet, and yeah. it's just like glide, 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 pain. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Yeah, so I, I think that all of these therapies, and we, like I said, and I like to bring it back to you know, you were talking about being here for mental health, right? Right, and mm. you know, we look at the body, there's all this holistic approach to this, these modalities that we use, and when we improve the quality and ways of life of these guys being able to throw that put football again with your kid. Yep. I mean, that has got, you got to see that as like a huge mental breakthrough. Well, I got to say this. So since we're here at TVP, um, let's face it, 2.5 million veterans served in Iraq and Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. That's the total number from 2001 till we invaded all the way through somebody, you boots on ground, 2.5 mil. Of the post-deployment health assessments, 900K, we're identified as TV, uh, TBI candidates. Mm. VA is only tracking 300K. Yeah. So two thirds of post-deployment candidates identified as TBI are completely undiagnosed and untreated. Oh. And we're still in that modality of if this, then that, instead of the more detective-based balance system, multiple modality, multiple treatment. I mean, that in and of itself is a mental state that... Mm. We, as medical people, uh, I, in my opinion, the good medics, they understand the whole picture and want whole picture mm. versus the, if pain, this is that. Yeah. yeah. It's why the pain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Symptom. Yeah. Not the well, and then let's talk about, um, again, the mental health aspect of pain in and of itself, right? Sure. So mm -hmm. not, not everybody um, is going to be, I say this loosely, not everybody's going to be a TBI person, right? Sure. And the reason I say that loosely is because TBI is more complex than what we originally thought. And it's, um, it happens more frequently than we originally thought too. Mm -hmm. We just had a great conversation, uh, I don't know, a week ago or so with one of the other docs involved, Dr. G, um, in the clinic out in Capel, but talking oh, yeah. about chemical brain injury. Um, mm. So the injury to your brain that you don't even realize you had that was chemically induced. Mm. And one of the things we know that has done that is uh, COVID, mm. whether you're vaccinated yep. or not, just getting COVID in and of itself and the brain health effects that has occurred there. From a physical standpoint, one of the research papers that I recently read is the sarcomere link. And so the exhaustion that people have after experiencing COVID and how long long COVID occurs, you know, when people that have had COVID-like symptoms for a year plus. Yeah. And they're, they've actually termed that now long COVID. Yeah. Um, but sarcomere length, so your capacity to do physical things has been shortened. Mm. So, um, and that, that affects the blood flow. So we're talking about the blood and the aspects of the blood that were affected from COVID. So there's that component mm. of it. And then the physical capacity to load your muscles from a systemic level, not even yeah. isolated. So, um, and, I, and I've been a victim of this actually, um, long COVID. So I, I lost my smell and taste. 
And now I know the people that lost their smell, um, although some people responded faster than others, but the people that lost their smell had so much more in neurological impact than the people that didn't. Really? Because the, the smell is a direct input into the brain. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so those nerves are at the roof of your mouth, the olfactory nerve. And so when that's affected, it's a direct input and direct relation to the brain. But I don't know if you remember, last time I was on the show, we talked about, I believe that chemical TBIs yeah, hundred percent. The VA overloading. Yeah. Pardon me. I'm not here to bash on VA. Anybody, any practitioner that is going back to what I was saying. If this, then that. Here, you, this is your symptom. This is the only treatment there there is. You're changing brain physiology through pharmacology. Yeah, yeah. And we talked about that at length. The SSRIs yep. and I mm -hmm. mean yep. Motrin, horse pill, have some. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah, and it, I mean you see this across like you know, long-term use of medications as sure, well, right? Definitely. Methadone is a great example of this, mm. right? Xanax. <laughs> Xanax, uh, yeah. SSRIs. Hey, let's not yeah. knock on Xanax, okay? <laughs> it's not well, so, good. Skittles. And, yeah. and that ties me into uh, the larger point, that, the earlier question is how, how I got into this. So I became a chiropractic patient, but still yet, that wasn't what really drove the motivation to become a chiropractor because mm. I was still in the reserves. I was still, you know, going back and doing things with SEAL Team 18 and that sort of stuff. I had no real drive at that point to be a chiropractor mm. in and of itself. Yeah. I actually didn't know what I was going to do because mm -hmm. um, I don't think I told this part of my story yet. But in 2013, my first wife passed away, delivering my second child. Wow. So um, she had an amniotic fluid embolism, which is where the amniotic fluid somehow gets into the bloodstream and acts just like any other embolism. In her case, instantly stopping her heart. Um, so one minute talking to her, everything was great. I left the room with our new baby, Peyton. Um, she's laughing with the um, anesthesiologist. Everything's going good. He asked her a question, no response. And then it's just like flatline from that point on. And they worked on her for, for hours. Um, and so going into brain health a little bit, that, that ties me into this some. Uh, that experience, it was hands down, that created PTSD for me, for sure. sure. Yeah. If I didn't already have some from being in the military, go to overseas, right? Yeah. Um, but the thing that was hardest about that for me, and, and I think most people who's, who's lost a significant other, someone really close, their spouse, the, a child, something like that, can relate to is, and especially in the, the military platform that I came from, I was used to uh, losing guys, used to seeing my buddies not come back home. Sure. And there was, I don't want to say comfort, but some level of acknowledgement that that's okay because mm. we all signed on to do this and we, we knew that that was a real possibility. But when you go in to have a baby and your wife doesn't come home, that doesn't compute. Like right. there's no, there's yeah. no part of that that computes. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that was a truly big breakdown moment for me that, and because, you know, I, that was my high school sweetheart. So oh. she had gone through all of the, the SEAL training, all of the years of deployment. So she, she was my swim buddy, so to speak, right? And then, um, you know, we had a kid previous to that. She was five years old. So now I have a five-year-old and a newborn baby, and I'm missing my swim buddy. Hmm. Um, and at the same time, trying to deal with the grief, yeah. but I'm still in the military. Yeah. And so trying to, um, it, that was the beautiful thing I would say about being in a spec ops community is, the love that was garnered in that situation and the level of support was, hand, I could probably firmly say across the board, was unlike anything 
anyone else that's been in that similar situation could have experienced. Sure. So in that way, I feel grateful because I was able to get past that moment faster because I had so much support. Beautiful. But I can quickly see how that spirals down for people. Um, and so tying that into another event that really just made this click for me was um, my buddy was an army guy, got shot up. Uh, he was my next door neighbor. And he was on, we were out doing um, another event, a sponsorship event, and it was a cornhole tournament at Dallas Cowboy Stadium. So for us, it was just fun, but it was all yeah. same thing, just like this, out there raising money for, to support veterans. And he was on suicide watch for a guy at the event. Um, and we talked to the guy. The guy seemed great, seemed happy. Everything was going well, seemed like, in his life. Um, but my buddy was also a firefighter. And he got a call. He went on that call. And in that time frame, that gentleman committed suicide. Oh. Um, and we learned about his medical history and all the different medications that he was on. Mm. And me having gone through a similar situation of, you know, I was put on Ambien. I was put on ibuprofen. I was put on an upper or a downer, you know. I was yeah. put on, um, I think, Zoloft or something, you know. Okay. All these different things. And I saw the zombie in myself, especially oh, on, yeah. the, on the antidepressants. I'm like, I, I literally have no emotion, not up yeah. or down. Mm. Yep. Um, and so experiencing that and then knowing how many veterans go through similar situation even just leaving the military and how traumatic mm -hmm. that event is, people don't realize how traumatic that is and trying to assimilate back into population. Um, that was my drive to do this because right. I wanted to provide a method that was uh, a unique, be effective and didn't require drugs or surgery. Mm. Yeah. Um, so that, that's it. Balanced. Yeah. That Dude. is, that is Good a balance. powerful inspiration, you know, uh, inspiration to doing what you're doing. Uh, and man, I, I will say that across the board, it's all about community. You know, yep. the, how you handle any adversity that comes in your life, if you have the proper support system next to you, you know, all of that other stuff like drops down, right? Rates of suicide, uh, you, you know, being able to overcome that, get through the steps a little bit quicker. And have that emotional support system, right? You had you had a team of guys that are used to losing people. Yeah. So and they and it provided me the off time to to grieve that moment. So mm -hmm. I didn't have to try to just keep chugging along with with all that in, my, in the back of my mind. Yeah. Um, it, <laughs> they hired a nanny to come in to help take care of the baby. Wow. Um, hooked me up with you know a gym membership away from base, so that wasn't even part of the base. Mm just went out to like a Gold's or Life or some gym and could just go work out all day long. Nanny was taking care of stuff. And then people would volunteer their time to make food and drop off food, you know? Oh. And so it was that that revolving door of support. Um, I am, oh my gosh, so grateful to have had that because I can't imagine what it would have been like not. And so part of that, the uh, my first motivation was how do I get involved in giving back to that? Mm, yeah. Um, and so I became a member of the Amniotic Fluid Embolism Foundation. Me and my wife were the military, I remarried years later, but we became part of the military liaison group for them. 
Um, and so we would get those military calls of guys in the same, and it's so crazy because I didn't even know what an amniotic fluid embolism was. Mm -hmm. I knew from diving injuries, you know, a pulmonary yeah. embolism. Sure. I knew, I knew that type of stuff, but I didn't even know an amniotic. They don't even talk about that when you go in to have a baby. It's like, you know, bleeding out and like those sorts of things, but yeah. they don't really talk about amniotic fluid embolism. Um, but it is rare. I mean, it's one in 40,000, but still it, the majority of those die. It's yeah. not just one in 40,000 and they, you know, they have a pretty good chance of surviving. Um, the, this, one of the survivors is the president of the foundation, wow, which is wow. crazy. Um, so we got into to that and then, you know, we would get all those people and it's like, man, I can't believe how many veterans are also experiencing this, yeah. this same thing that I went through. Yeah. Um, so then, and we had a good connection in the community. So especially in Virginia beach, like one of the guys was in the Virginia beach area. It was an army guy. Um, and doing simple things we knew, okay, what is a dad that ha doesn't have a child or they've been thrown in this situation? What do they need? Yeah. They need diapers, wipes, formula. They need simple things to help because you're not thinking about that stuff. I can't tell yeah, you. Yeah, right? not you're, you're not thinking about those simple little things. No. So we started reaching out to our contacts and we're like, all right, let's start the diaper drive and the wipes and the formula and all the, all the basic needs that he needs to just even take care of the baby. Let's start that process. Mm -hmm. um, and then we connected with some other people and he wanted to, he wanted to bury a tree in Hawaii where they were from in honor of his wife. And um, so we got with some other organizations where like, dude, this is nothing. It's like a hundred dollar donation. Can you do that to help support this guy and all that stuff? So we just in, in an hour's own little simple way, trying to bring that support group. Cause I'm sure in his, and he was big army. So, and I say that not to be derogatory, but the community's not, it's so big that yeah. the support group is smaller, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, definitely. Where in my community, it's so small, the support group's so big. Yeah. Um, and so he didn't have the level of support that I did. So that's, that was our big piece is how can we generate that? Cause that mm. really wasn't even the mission of the amniotic fluid embolism foundation. Their true mission was education on it and teaching the hospitals how to recognize it. Mm. Because the only thing that they've been able to deduce is that the hospitals that notice it sooner, mm -hmm. that individual has a more uh, greater possibility of surviving it. Okay. There's no precursor to it. We couldn't find, and um, again, my current wife, she scoped all the records because she's been a nurse for over 30 years. So mm. she would scrub the records looking for any detail of this person, if they have this gene or if they, you know, have these symptoms, they're they're likely to experience it. And yeah. we, we've been, out of all the years, have not been able to make that connection. Mm. Well, so... Well, I, we appreciate you sharing. That's like sharing a whole that, other podcast. That, that was. <laughs> yeah. I, I, no, no, no. I mean, uh, talk about resiliency, and uh, you know, we really? talk about that all that all the time as well. Is is the military does do a fantastic job in instilling that ability to overcome very difficult situations. Mm -hmm. Sure. And the support system that you have is is something that I mean, we all hear and talk about the camaraderie and the brotherhood, and sisterhood. Um, but to really see it in action, I think just seals that in as well. Yeah. You know, that is an overwhelming situation that you faced that, I mean, you have to be a father and deal with the grief at the same time. It's gotta be a difficult juggle. And I had to figure out what I was gonna do with my life. Yeah, yeah. on top of that's, that too. That's so purpose. Other, yeah. That's the whole other piece that- yeah. It was like 18 curveballs were thrown <laughs> at you. I mean, with that seal hair, you would definitely have been a male model. I'm just gonna say. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, because um, I, I knew obviously I wasn't going to deploy anymore. Yeah. I had already made that decision because, mm-hmm. you know, I, again, going back to understanding what I was getting myself into, I understood yeah. the real possibility that I might not come home if I deployed again. Sure. So I couldn't do that to my kids. Mm-hmm. I couldn't leave them yeah. parentless, you know? So, and again, that, that, that risk, that possibility that is always there, but I didn't want to increase that level of risk. Yeah. So, yeah. um, I guess again, timing, maybe luck as, as it would be, my contract was due to be up at the end of that year. So this happened January 30th, 2013. And my contract was up in August. So I had a decision to make anyway, and I was actually planning to reenlist. Oh, wow. Um, but that made the decision for me. Yeah. Um, but still I had to figure out what I was going to do. And so, um, I got attached, uh, stayed in the reserves so that I could still be a part of the team in case things worked out yeah. and I wanted to come back later. Sure. Um, I didn't know how that would negatively affect me later, which is a whole different all game, but we're um, going to have to do part two man. <laughs> yeah, this guy, for sure. Let's have this guy back on. Yeah. We'll really dive <laughs> into that. Um, yeah. So, so, um, so that part of it and, and I had no idea what I was going to do. Yeah. And so I struggled with that for a while. So I had the, the depression aspect and sure. uh, the true, I feel PTSD aspect, um, the years of service going on. And then now this whole new, you, you said it beautifully purpose. Yeah. Um, now I, now I don't have a purpose other mm-hmm. than I know I got to take care of my kids. Yeah. What does yeah. that look like? Yeah. So, yeah. um, yeah, that was, and I went through a mental struggle, um, for a while dealing with that because that was something that nobody could help me with. I had mm-hmm. to figure out my own purpose and what, what did yeah. that look like? So I, I fumbled around for a while. I did some real estate, didn't really like it much. Uh, I did some flying. I tried it. I was going to go be a pilot. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what I didn't know is how my VA disability rating would screw me in so many jobs. Oh yeah. Um, and this ties into how I got medically retired by the way. So uh, eventually being in the reserves, my VA disability came back Read me 100% disabled, all these different things. Um, of course, in that process, trying to figure that out, I had like five things that I knew that was wrong with me. Yeah. Um, but they had, and again, being in a small community, they had brought people in that were specialists in this area and they scrubbed my record. And when I sat back down with them, it was like tons of things. So anyway, um, I forgot what was going with that. The disability part. Okay, so I couldn't fly. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I have inner ear dysfunction, mm. disability rating. So I went for my FA screening. They said, can't fly because <laughs> you might get vertigo. Yeah. You might kill everyone on board. Can't have that. Um, FBI tried that. Can't be more than 30% disabled. They really? can see your medical stuff as well. Yeah. Unless you're already in, then there's workarounds. But at mm. least when I went down and sat with them, it was, you couldn't be more than 30% disabled. Yeah. Interesting. So um, all that to say, uh, that's how I ended up getting medically retired in okay. 2017 because they came back and they're like, 100% disabled, you got to get out. Yeah. And I was but like, you have the mindset for what you're doing. Right. I mean, let's face it. Right. I, we're happy that you're here. <laughs> yeah. This is your purpose. And, and, and while we're here, like, let's talk about that connect. You, you know, you've used your life experiences and now you're hooked up with Texas Valor Project. Sure. Um, so what does that mean to you? Absolutely. Great question. Um, and so I didn't know about them even last year. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know how, because I've been going to the band of brothers sing for a while. Um, <laughs> but I had taken a break because I was going back to school. So that's partly how we weren't connected. Um, but found out with them and, and found out what their mission was. 
And even though it's geared towards TBI, the fact that they're treating the brain in general has so much more profound effects. Like we've talked about this whole podcast, essentially, Mm -hmm. whether it's specifically TBI or not, just affecting the brain in a positive way and reconnecting circuits that have been broken and that sort of thing has just such a positive um, outlook. So Mm. knowing what they were doing, I fell in love with it. So immediately Mm. I was like, okay, how, how can we do that? How can we do that here if possible? Um, how can I be a part of that? And whether it's with what I'm already doing on a, on a different, slightly smaller scale, maybe, Mm -hmm. or again, you know, can we do that on a much larger scale and do it here? Because there's such a large veteran population here. Oh yeah. Um, amazing. Yeah. Amazing. So that's how I got involved with T, uh, TVP and how I, and I, I kind of pushed you along a little it, bit. Because you did, of course. It, after I went in for my first consult, I was like, Oh, this is a smart one. Because I mean, <laughs> let's face it. TBI is something that we've talked about different modalities, but how it develops. It's a physical thing. And there's, I think the one thing I was going to just put in real quick is that there's, different levels and severities of it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, yes. we had a good conversation about, you have the blast TBI. Yeah. Obviously we've got some work to do, but what about the guy that's 15, 16 indirect fires? Yeah. Not in yeah. close proximity, but it's still the in micro, that. micro. Right. Right. We did talk about that last time. Yeah. yeah. You My, know, it's micro trauma. Yeah. Micro traumas. And so you could do that different levels of severity in multiple different lanes, the mm. chemical, the, the long-term fixes. Um, it, I, yeah. I think, yeah, just beautifully put the things that you do and right. You bring both aspects to the table. Is yep. It is the physical and mental well-being, right? Right. And and you have to look at it from a top-down approach. So you know, gentlemen, really appreciate you coming on, sharing you Thanks, again. Uh, anything that you would say to the audience, like inspiration? You know, hey, check out you know TVP. Come on, <laughs> absolutely check out TVP. This was my pitch. We did a uh, run. <coughs> we did a run at a grant. It was a lottery system. Hmm. We went up against fifteen other nonprofits, and they just picked three at random, and we just weren't picked. But then everybody got to speak. And then, of course, everybody, after I said this, came up and was like, that was, that was a little bit too powerful. But I appreciate it. 7,000 casualties out of OAF and OIF, right? Just shy of 7,000. 35,000 veteran suicides. Hmm. Yep. And we're here to talk about the thing that's treatable, preventable. Yeah. A TBI. If we can get some of those people on treatment, in therapy, task, mission, and purpose, all the things that we've been talking about for the last hour, those numbers drop significantly. I'm Absolutely. not saying that we can always fix that stuff, but this is a physiologic injury that we can provide physiologic treatment for, and we can knock those numbers way the hell down. Mm. That is a, what is that? That's a five times ratio, one out of five. Yeah. For every killed soldier in action, we've got five that are taking their lives. That's stupid. Mm. Bad, stupid. So that's, that's my inspirational dark inspiration <laughs> like Pac-Man. no I, I would just piggyback off of that you know we're here for this event today so um you know please please donate any anything that you have to offer to donate to help give these guys the care that they need and really truly deserve mm-hmm. um but also just just in, to the general public you know you're not alone there are support systems out there huh. and you know, what you're suffering with, regardless of what it may be, there, there's, there's help out there and there's help in ways that maybe you don't even think. So just, you know, ask the question. If you don't know, find somebody else. Just, just don't give up. Don't give up. Mm-hmm. I'm going to piggyback off y'all. That's the cost. Just go talk about it. Yeah. 
Research yeah. it and talk about it. Have the conversation. Don't ignore the conversation. Yeah. Have the conversation. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like and share the Medivac podcast. Well, we're just going to ask you to have this conversation yeah. with your buddy. Because I didn't know half of that stuff. I appreciate you talking about it. Yeah. But mm-hmm. just this conversation lets me know there's more conversation to be had. So go have the conversation. That's what we're asking. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Exactly. Absolutely. It's well, thank ask. you, gentlemen. We thank appreciate you, you so much. Us. I appreciate you taking the time to listen to me. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. Thank you for your time, gentlemen. And for the Medivac podcast, thank you for uh, watching today. Go check out Aaron Withrow's uh, previous episodes, and you can check out the Texas Valor Project. And also uh, follow up with Chris Shiflett with Trident Elite Health if you're interested in taking part. If you're in the Dallas area, give these gentlemen a shout. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next time. Until next time. Bye. Bye.